All right, folks, it is Wednesday afternoon, March 30th. Um, Go be great. Episode five. We're here. We're back. Um, I'm not going to lie to you, folks. This is the second time I've recorded this episode. Um, I just started it right before I'm literally going back to back. Like I started recording one probably at about 2.30 and it's like 3.45 right now. Um, I used to do this before when like I was thinking about doing a pod and uh, not really sure like if I had enough confidence to put it out like I would start recording and then midway through I'd be like this is this is trash like I can't I don't want to put this up so it was like getting to that point and then I had to use the bathroom and I won't lie to you guys um the way that I'm recording this is off Zoom. So like I'll go into a Zoom call by myself, um, sit down, hit record, just edit out the parts of like you can hear when I start like the recording. And then when you hear like me done and like clicking the end button, that's all I really do in terms of editing. So I was like, shit, how am I going to record the rest of it and like put it together i'm sure i would have figured it out but between it not being my best work um nature calling and um a little bit of like my self-doubt creeping in i have trashed uh recording number one so bear with me if it sounds like i I trail off at the end i have now talked about most of these topics twice um but I'm going to try to bring a little bit of a better energy for, for this, this go around. I thought I was a little uh, boring and talking too much about the, the two final four matchups, which uh, so I'm going to get into a little bit of a recap of the tournament and more specifically the sweet 16 and the elite eight. Um, I want to talk about the Chris Rock, Will Smith thing, but I did it in the first one and it really wasn't as good as I thought it would be. Like, uh, I guess I could really just sum it up right now. Um, I'm sure everyone saw Will Smith get up and smack Chris Rock for a joke about his wife. That was really not that offensive, but that's neither here nor there. Um, It is as simple as, you don't like something that someone says i don't think you have a right to go up and assault them um so that's my take on that Uh, if you have a different take you can leave it in the comments uh below or on spotify or you could text me or call me if you have my number um we will be putting out an email soon um i was thinking about voicemail in terms of like people trying to uh you know guide me on what to talk about or you know ask questions of me or whatever it was going to be i did mention that on episode four um and i was it was brought to my attention that maybe people wouldn't want their voices being um you know being put out there on the on the gobi great airwaves um i i understand that so Also, you know, not that I was going to, but let's just say that there was going to be 
you know, not as many voicemails as I was hoping for. You know, I do have a couple of good voice imitations that I was ready to use. Um, so it will be e easier for me to, you know, stage the email slash voicemail thing with emails rather than you, you guys obviously hearing my fake voices just trying to keep the segments going. Um, so that'll be up, I'm sure. I only have like my my emails from high school and college. So like I don't want to use those, not because I won't have access to them or anything like that, but they're just super long, like at mail.sacredheart.edu is a lot. And then like my high school is like a lot of E's and vowels. And uh, I just think it would be a lot easier if it's go be great at blank.com dot com keep it from there um so that'll be up soon um from a scheduling standpoint um i'm right now in connecticut on wednesday um and i would say i in the first one i mentioned that this is go be great headquarters i guess you could say so we're at Gobi Great Headquarters right now. We're presented by Hardo Sports. Um, but I will be going to the motherland, New Jersey, this weekend for the Final Four. Um, probably catch the game with my family members that are Tar Heels fans. Um, and if not, just probably go out and catch the games at, at a bar or something. I'm not really sure, but... Uh, um, we have our opening day for men's league baseball this Sunday, which is why I'm in my main reason for going home. Um, so with the games happening Saturday and then uh, the Monday national championship, I think it would be pretty bad of me to not have a podcast out by Sunday at some point. So I'm going to try to do that for you guys. Um, I'll be especially motivated to do so if North Carolina advances to the national championship game on monday that would be pretty cool um so we're gonna try to do that um in this episode i think i mentioned already uh recap of the sweet 16 and elite eight um final four preview um and then i had three other topics that I wanted to get into. I'm going to definitely get into the ladies. Well, I, I don't want to say final four because I'm not really going to talk about it at all. Uh, there was one topic from the women's side of the tournament that had a lot of people upset and I'm going to get into that. Um, opening day for baseball is almost here. I'm not going to pretend like I have any idea what's going on with the other 29 teams in the league, but I will give you a pretty good rundown of what I think about the Yankees. Um, and then I haven't been really addressing the NFL offseason at all. And I think I should because some of these topics will still be talked about for the next couple of weeks, if not months. Um, and I really just have it down to like the top one two three four six or seven stories and i uh i mean 
Yeah, it's really six stories and the Jets. Like, I, I know, I'm sure that there's only two or three people that listen to the pod that really care about the New York Jets, but it is my podcast, so I think I'm allowed to talk about what I want. I mean, I could be wrong here, folks, but um, I I just want to get some things off my chest. I feel like for the Jets is probably the most excited uh I don't want to say the most excited I've been for a season because I've been excited before and just been totally wrong about what I thought I was going to see from the team over the season. But I think just looking back on the last couple of years, this is probably the most um, optimistic you could be about the season and realistic you could be about the season. Like, I'm optimistic that they get better from last year. I'm optimistic that maybe they make the playoffs with like a nine and eight record. And that's about it. Like if they do that, I'll be satisfied. If they don't and they get better, I'll be satisfied. And I'm not going to go too much further with my expectations because there's no reason to do that. So we'll get into them at the end. Um, So on the last episode, I repicked my sweet 16 bracket uh, from the sweet 16 the bracket um of the elite eight teams i went five for eight i missed saint peter's i missed um gonzaga and i missed texas tech um so that west region really gave me a problem uh for the final four i went three of four i had north carolina kens and Villanova. Um, I had Texas Tech, but I should have probably looked ahead to see that North Carolina would face Duke in the Final Four, and that it would just be too perfect of a story uh, for the Coach K retirement tour, that this would be the first time that North Carolina and Duke meet in the NCAA tournament. Um, So that's going to be pretty exciting. Obviously, I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but I probably should have been paying attention to that. Maybe my bracket would have been better. Um, speaking of brackets, I just want to shout out my younger sister, um, who made her first bracket, I think this year, uh, maybe she's made one in the past, but, um, she made one with, she's a freshman right now. She made one with her friends that live in the dorm with her, um, but mostly led by her. And she went four for four on um, on her bracket in terms of final four teams. Um, she is currently ranked on the ESPN app 4,800. Um, so I think it would just be dumb of me not to shout her out. I honestly should have had her on just for 10 minutes just to go through like how she went about it because, I mean, she told me she listened to the pod and like I my bracket sucked. So her bracket doing good. I don't know if I should feel good that she listened to my pod and then went into the top uh, 0.1% of all brackets or should I be not feeling great about myself because I just got beat by my younger sister. That's something that I'm trying to get into like sports talk. Like I did sports talk on the entire tournament and did not really predict it that well. Maybe I gave some entertaining 
things or some informational things to you guys. But, um, I mean, shout out to her. That's an awesome accomplishment, something that maybe will never happen again to her or to, to really anyone, you know, like I feel um, there hasn't been that many times that I could remember, like she's not in the pools that I entered for money, but if she was, she'd be winning by a hundred or 200, uh, 220 points in one. The leader of that one has 690. She has 220. Um, or she has 920, excuse me. So a difference of 230 points there. And then she, um, would be leading by 80 points in the other. So pretty awesome for, for them. Um, but she had Kansas, Nova, Duke, and Carolina. She texted me her bracket before the tournament started. And I actually told her, Oh, there's no way North Carolina and Duke play like no shot. And, you know, I, I felt pretty confident about the, the other two teams she picked in Kansas Nova. Uh, I picked the same thing. And then before, um, before Ariz- before the tournament started, I flipped to Arizona, which I should not have done. Um, that's okay. Uh, so she had Kansas Villanova. Duke and North Carolina, those are the teams left. And let's get right into it. Um, so Kansas plays Villanova, four and a half point spread over under 133 from the Superdome in New Orleans on Saturday night, six o'clock p.m. Um, how these teams have gotten here, Kansas, decent opening weekend. I believe they played Texas Southern in game one. They played Creighton in game two. Um, Obviously, they were going to coast in the 116 game regardless. Creighton was missing their best player. They didn't look great. Only beat them by seven points. Um, Then they played Providence. Providence had a bad first half, 17 points, and they kind of chased that the rest of the way. They made a good run. They were in the game in Chicago against Kansas, and then uh, weren't able to pull it out. Kansas kind of pulls away in the last couple of minutes. Um, Then they go into the Elite Eight game. They're down six after a 9-2 run to end the half for Miami. 35-29 was the score at half of that one in favor of Miami. And Kansas outscored Miami by 30 in the second half featuring their best defensive half of the entire tournament. Like I felt watching the Providence game. I don't know how much of it was defense necessarily as to why Providence had a tough time scoring the basketball. I just think they had a bad shooting day. Um, The defense against Miami was detrimental to Miami. I mean, they couldn't get up any good shot. I don't know if they got tied. I don't know, but. They got they got choked out in the second half, and so Kansas won that game, seventy six fifty. On the other side, Villanova probably had the toughest weekend of the four teams in terms of the two teams they played, the style of game that happened between those teams. Um, they played Michigan and they played Houston. 
Um, probably had the toughest elite, definitely had the toughest elite eight matchup was Nova Houston. Um, that game ended 50 to 44. Um, great defensive battle, but unfortunately, uh, Justin Moore, the second leading scorer and junior guard for Jay Wright's guys, tore his Achilles in the last minute of the game, and he will be out for the remainder of Villanova's season and really out indefinitely. Uh, you know, I don't think with the torn Achilles that he, if he's going back to school, would necessarily be ready for November. I don't really, I'm not familiar with the recovery process of that injury, but um, yeah, he, he unfortunately had that happen. Uh, he is one of the six players for Jay Wright's team that play 25 minutes or more um, and the rest of the team, there's not one guy that averages more than 10. So Caleb Daniel will, um, you will fill that role as the starter. He was the sixth man playing about 25 minutes a game this season. Um, and then I believe Brian Antoine and Chris Archidiakno, who his brother was the uh, guard of the 2016 national champion Villanova Wildcat team. Um, those will be the two guys that will fill the role of Justin Moore. And um, I'm intrigued by this matchup, guys. I So... I think um, the spread is low considering that Villanova's number one player is out. I think if this number was higher, um, everybody would be taking Villanova, right? But because it's four and a half, Villanova's missing a guy. It makes you think, okay, we're going to take Kansas at four and a half and they get fouled, whatever, they win by six. Like, that's that's good, right? Well, I think you're underestimating how Villanova is going to respond to this. Like, most other teams, there would be reason to be worried. Like, okay, the number two players went out, or the number two guard. I don't even want to say the number two player because I think given Villanova's system, like, every guy on the court, can be the number one guy at some point. And it's important because their system of offense occasionally would have Gillespie, the point guard, coming off the ball and getting the ball mid-possession. Or, you know, sometimes they just want to, if he has the best guy on him, you don't really want, you can kind of put him in the corner and let the rest of the offense operate. You know, you have a couple of other guys that can really put the basketball in the hole and in Moore and Jermaine um, Samuel and uh, Caleb Daniels. And, you know, they have Dixon and Slater who really don't, they're more so forwards that just, you know, clean up on the boards, a couple of shots to go up for both of those guys, but not as much. Um, you know, to lose one of the guys that is is the offensive uh, weight bearer is going to be tough. But defense is clearly what drives this system. And I think given what Diacono, Archie Diacono and Antoine are going to be asked to do, they aren't going to come in for that long, either of them. But 
when they are in, they will be defending like their hair's on fire. So they won't be losing anything on that end. Well, they lose something on the offensive end. Yeah. But like I said, they're not going to use these kids for long. Like in the last eight minutes of the game, the, the five guys on the court for Villanova will be Eric Dixon, Brandon Slater, um, Colin Gillespie, Jermaine Samuels, and Caleb Daniels. No doubt. Those are the five guys. He will sub in those other two a little bit. Does it stink that more went down? Yes. But this team is ready to play. This team has went through injury before. Colin Gillespie went down last year with an ACL, uh, I believe, before the tournament. And Villanova won two games and went to the Sweet 16. Um, so this is something that they are they are used to dealing with. They are also the team with more experience and upperclassmen. Um, and Jay Wright talked to uh, Mike Francesa on the first episode of the Mike Francesa podcast that wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you can go get that. Um, I highly recommend tuning into the Francesa pod uh, as a Francesa listener. Most of my uh, most of my life, I know it's crazy to say because most, you know, the heyday of his career is before I was uh, even alive. And then, I mean, even he had like a, a late run there in the early 2000s before, um, before he, I'd say there was a point where he really didn't have it anymore in terms of like, he was kind of mailing it in at the end in like my high school days, like 2015 to 2017 um most of my life he was the guy like if i was going to listen to sports radio i was going to the fan and whether i was driving home from school uh going to a sporting event like that was the guy when i was even when i was younger and like going to games like if we were going to a game that started at six o'clock and we had to be there at five just say uh, Mike was on from 3 to 6.30 until John Sterling and Susan Waldman started the Yankees pregame show. So um, that was what I grew up on. That is a reason that I'm into this. Um, so I highly recommend that you go listen to him because if anything, at this point, he is an entertaining guy to listen to. He doesn't know, you know, he doesn't know everything. He definitely doesn't know everything about college basketball specifically um he got a couple names wrong getting the uh getting his analysis of the final four called armando baycott back it but it's okay mike is coming from back from his second retirement he's allowed a couple of misses on his journey back um but when he talked to jay wright and there are a couple things that i kind of take took out of what he said um first of all despite losing their you know their best player one thing that i think sticks out is the free throw line um kansas had a bad game at the free throw line in the first half against miami um and it you know didn't come back to bite them at all because they just broke the doors off them in the second half um but no guy on Villanova really shoots it poorly from the line. 
Um, I believe that is because it is instilled in you when you get to Villanova that that is something that you have to be good at to get on the court. Um, And so I think in terms of that, there's an advantage there. On defense, despite Justin Moore being out, there's an advantage on defense for Villanova. Now, the key is, in my opinion, for Villanova, um, do you let do you let Remy Martin beat you? Like it, I, you're gonna get the Agbaji game, regardless of what happens. He's good enough that he will have his 15, 20 points. He will get to the basket and dunk. He'll make his couple of threes, whatever. If Colin Gillespie gets beat by Remy Martin, honestly, if Colin Gillespie doesn't shut down Remy Martin and let him like go one for nine from the field or something, I don't think Villanova is going to win. I think either way they'll keep it close, but I think that's the matchup to watch. Also, another interesting part is that during Kansas's big run on Sunday against Miami, David McCormick, the center of the Kansas Jayhawk team, did not really play at all. They went with like a four-guard system between um, they had Agbaji out there, Remy Martin. Um, they had Jalen Wilson out there as the one forward. They had the kid uh, Davis, the point guard. So they really play with like a three-guard system at all times, and then Wilson and McCormick in there. And then they put one other guard in there, took out McCormick, and they killed them with a small ball lineup. Now, I don't think that's going to – I don't think that's the way that you want to play this game if you're Bill Self. Like if you go – you go with that four-guard – one forward lineup like you're kind of playing right into the to the hand of Villanova like they just played every game with their lineup just their lineup is small ball whether they want to say it or not like they have their biggest player on the court at all times is six seven like they have Dixon six seven Jermaine Samuel six seven Slater's like six six the guards were both um 6'2", and um, Daniel is 6'4". So, to me, I think you have to play the same way Michigan played in the first half. Michigan was just playing Hunter Dickinson basketball. They were just feeding the beast in the first half, and he was getting baskets. Um, In the second half, he got double teamed a little more. I think he was like, when he wasn't getting double teamed and getting to the basket easily, he was like seeing ghosts at the rim and had a tough time. He really did not make many shots in the second half of that game. Um, So I think by playing small for Kansas, you're playing into the hand of what Villanova wants to do, which is play slow. They want to, you know, they'd rather take the advantage on the, like they'll have the advantage on the boards. If you play four guards and one forward, they will also have the defensive advantage. Like the only answer they don't have for Kansas is if 
Ogbaji has like a 30-point game where he's unstoppable, or if David McCormick gets every rebound and um, has like an easy 15 points because he's just finishing at the rim. That's the advantage for Kansas. Now, usually in a game where it's very close, which I think these two teams are very well-matched, you take the coach. In my opinion, the best coach in college basketball is Jay Wright. Um, A lot of other coaches would not be able to get through losing their second best uh, player, their second leading scorer, whatever you want to call Justin Moore. But he will get his guys ready to play. I think those two subs that will be filling in those spots um, are going to come in and play such great defense that it won't matter what they do on the offensive side of the ball. I think the older guys that have been used to this stuff, you know, losing Gillespie last year, coming back, having a great year, I think that they – I just think that they're going to be able to pull it out in New Orleans in a close one. Um, I think a lot of people are doubting Villanova just based on the news of – of losing Justin Moore. And I think that is something that Jay Wright will be able to play into some extra intensity, especially in the first half on defense. So I expect a low score. I expect a lot of great defense being played. And also it's important that I feel like when Villanova's in these close games, you know, I mentioned it on an earlier podcast. Um, Colin Gillespie, as a point guard, really knows when to go get the ball and score. He knows when to facilitate. He's really like having a coach out there. Um, And, you know, it does stink that Justin Moore is going to be out because he would handle the ball as well. And they would kind of move. They wouldn't even move Gillespie to to the shooting guard role, more so just putting him off the ball and letting him come get it mid-possession, which, like, is something that is important, especially for someone that's not super athletic. Like, like Colin Gillespie isn't going to dribble past you or anything. Like, that is an important part of Villanova's offense that will be missing. But I just think, um, I think Jay Wright has these boys ready to play, and they move on to the national championship. Um, I'm going to get into this other game and these other two teams that uh, no one thought would be here. Um, Duke and North Carolina. Um, Like I mentioned before, Duke and North Carolina is their first matchup in the NCAA tournament. Um, It has been an interesting last month for Duke. Um, They started out the month on March 5th with a loss at Cameron Indoor um, to UNC in Coach K's last game there. They went to Brooklyn for the ACC tournament where they took down Syracuse, who was minus Buddy Beheim. They... Um, they took down Miami in a close game, 
Um, and then they got blown out by Virginia Tech. That led them into the tournament where first weekend, no problem with Cal State Fullerton. Um, Michigan State was next. That was a close game, but they pulled away. And then last weekend, Texas Tech had them right where Texas Tech wanted them. And Texas Tech was up five with seven minutes left, playing great defense like they always do, number one defense according to Ken Palm rankings. And then all of a sudden, Duke played out of their minds in the last seven minutes, did not miss a field goal, and they, they, they edged out the Red Raiders um, before they dismantled Arkansas. So it's an interesting team here, folks, because there are not that many analysts out there that have given you enough information about this team if you haven't watched them all year. As soon as Duke is brought up, the first thing that gets mentioned is Coach K. Every time that the team has played in the tournament and in the ACC tournament and the game at Cameron against UNC, they show like Coach K walking from the locker room to the court with his wife or with whoever. They show all this Coach K stuff. And listen, Coach K deserves to be honored and all this stuff, but we haven't heard outside of Paulo Boncaro's name. Like we haven't heard one thing about AJ Griffin, who's going to be a top 10 draft pick. We haven't heard one thing about Mark Williams, who's having a great season. We haven't heard anything about Wendell Moore, Jeremy Roach. You haven't heard anything. So that has been my problem with Duke. Like I, uh, I always say this to people who are like, Oh, it's, you know, you hate Duke, right? Well, yeah, of course I do. But sometimes there are those guys or players that um, don't bother me as much from, from them. Like, I was never bothered by R.J. Barrett. I was never bothered by Jason Tatum. I was never – I wanted to win because I was rooting for my team. But it's not like a Grayson Allen where, like, I didn't like Grayson Allen. Like, uh like I like Jason Tatum in his professional career. If Grayson Allen tore his ACL, like I wouldn't give it, I wouldn't care. Um, no one on this team really makes me mad. Um, they've been through an interesting season. Like I said, they haven't gotten as much love as some other great Duke teams because they've been more focused on Coach K. Um, and they've also just as a team full of freshmen and sophomores, they've done a lot of, uh, they've had a lot of growth in the last month. Like they've been in games. I feel like in the beginning of the year, they were just beating teams and never really in close games. You know, they had a couple of close ones with Gonzaga and, um, but for the most part, they were just far and away better than some teams. And then you know, they faced a test against North Carolina and they were like, what the hell? Like we're getting punched in the mouth and they just went away. Um, and then since then, you know, outside of, you know, Virginia Tech was just a hot team at that time. They won 12 straight um, or 12 of 13, something like that. And these other games, like, you know, they were against a really good Arkansas team. They were down to Texas Tech and they, instead of folding up, 
they came feverishly and they they finished up what they needed to do and now they're they're uh, headed to New Orleans. So um, on the other side of things, we have North Carolina. Um, I told you guys, you know, I believe episode three, where I picked the entire bracket, that North Carolina would be in the final four if the guards shot the ball well, and they have. Um, But it's been more than that. Uh, This has been a team that at any given game can be led by someone different. Um, We've had Caleb Love take over in the Baylor game. And then in the end, he fouled out of the overtime of Baylor. Um, And then in the end of uh, the UCLA game, we've had the Brady Manic take over of also the Baylor game. So we had two guys really go off in that one. Um, We had Caleb Love take over game one in the first half against Marquette. And then this game against St. Peter's, we had Baycott just grab every board and have an easy 20 points. Um, So between the guards really – I mean, every player on the UNC roster, especially out of the the four guys, Leakey, uh, Baycott, um, RJ, and Caleb Love, they have all they've all really improved from last year. I mean, um, it's been a pleasure pleasure to see. Uh, looking back on it, and I was on a spaces, a Twitter space with. Um, KJ Smith and and uh, Armando Baycott. Um, first, I was I joined and I requested to speak, and I really didn't think I was gonna end up being chosen. And then all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, uh, I have KJ Smith saying, "Mike, Mike." I was like, "Oh no, they actually just chose. They chose me first, so I didn't have anything. I was driving at the time, didn't have anything to really." question or ask which i wish i did have something in my brain going at the time but it was really just uh you know i was just thrown into the moment so i let them know how well kj is no longer on the team but i let armando know how much of a pleasure it has been to see the growth of the team from last year to this year and he mentioned it and i then agreed with him it has been interesting to hear how people were doubting UNC mid-year, saying that it wasn't that great of a team when they were in a better spot mid-season, despite all of the results that they had. They were in a better spot mid-season this year than they were last year, and that was not the story last year. The story was, you know, really just are they going to make the tournament or not? There's really no story from North Carolina. And then this year, it was they stink, they stink, they stink. And then all of a sudden, in the last month, they don't stink. Um, To me, the team reminds me a lot of 2017. Uh, I think it's very clear to see Kennedy Meeks and Armando Baycott's similarities. 
Uh, Brady Manick is playing the Justin Jackson role. Justin Jackson role. Wow, there we go. Um, pretty well. I know Luke May kind of was in the same like Luke May and Justin Jackson played the same role on the same at the same time. Most of the time they're on the court together too, and like we don't really have. Like, it was an interesting dynamic of that team where like we played two forwards a center um like a a, a stretch like we when we played theo pinson like i don't know i he was a forward too so like we had one guard on the court you can't really do that and i know that they all played good defense and like they were all really they all could really handle the ball and play some some good offense too but um, I just see a lot of similarities between those two guys. And then the role that Leaky Black has played has been pretty similar, in my opinion, to Theo Pinson. I know Theo was a lot better on offense than Leaky is, but um, being able to have that shutdown defender, I think in college basketball, if your team uh, focus or or uh characteristic isn't like being the good defensive team to have one of those guys that can just take out the number one player on the other team is so big um you know i saw some article on sports illustrated this week uh calling out the north carolina coaching staff for starting leaky black um, that just tells me that you haven't seen the game all year. Like you have not watched one Carolina game all year, except for maybe the elite eight game because, uh, Lee black has never been good on offense. Like one day that he's been in Chapel Hill, but he was the number one defender in the country this year. I don't think it's even close. He made some of those kids from St. Peter's look like they'd never played before. And I know that there was probably a little bit of um, an athletic difference there, but there has been plenty of other games, including against Duke where Leaky black just takes that guy out back, whoever it is, whether it was AJ Griffin, which I think that's his matchup in this game. Um, whoever it is, he's taking them out straight up. Um, and to be basically like to only be able to catch the ball and like go to the basket, like if he shoots three is whatever, like he's not making them, but he knows not to like really shoot that many. So um, I think it was interesting to give us a little bit of bulletin board material in a game where we didn't need them need any already. So um, I'm going to get into the pick of this one. It's Duke minus four over under 151. They are estimating an 850 tip on Saturday night from the Superdome because this is the second game. Um, Listen, everything I know about sports would tell you that Duke is going to win the game. Uh, They have the better story. Um, They have, you know, they lost the last game against North Carolina. So, like, that's fresh in their mind, like, they know exactly how they felt one month ago when they had to come back out and Coach K said, you know, apologize for the loss and all that stuff. Um, they remember that feeling. And I think either way, 
whoever wins this game, it's going to take their best game. Like, it's going to take every guy on the court playing at their best just to over, overcome the other team. Like, um, uh, it's tough. I think you'll know about UNC early. Um, it's been the same story all year, like, well, at least all month. If one of the three shooters hits the first, like, two out of three jumpers, that guy's going for 25 to 30 points. Who else is going to help him? Um, R.J. Davis has done a great job facilitating the ball, going to the rim. Caleb Love has been unconscious at times. Brady Manick has been unconscious pretty much the whole tournament. Um, I'm obviously going to pick the Tar Heels. But everything I know about sports would tell me that this is not going to be Carolina's uh, Carolina's day. Like I said, I think it'll be close either way. But um, the story is just so good for Duke that I believe in stories and sports, folks. It's as simple as that. I think it's a great story. They lost last time to Carolina, and I also believe in that. Um, and I expect to be very uh, on edge all night on Saturday night. Um, and I'll try to enjoy it the best I can. I'll definitely enjoy it more if Carolina pulls it out. And I would, you know, love to be part of our um, third or, yeah, third championship game in uh, six years, I guess, right? 2022. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so us and Villanova playing in our third Final Four in as many uh, in six years, um, we played each other in 2016. In 2017, we played Gonzaga. And in 2018, Villanova played Michigan. So um, should be interesting for all of the programs involved on Saturday and then again on Monday. Um, you know, every pro it's a blue blood Final Four. Every program is proud to be there and to represent their school, but they didn't come this far to just come this far. They want to be hoisting the trophy Monday night. Um, I'm not going to get into me picking Carolina versus Nova because, you know, who knows if that's going to be the, uh, the matchup. It could easily be Duke and Kansas. It could be any, any combination of the four. Um, so I'm not going to go into that. Like I said, I'm going to try to get a Sunday afternoon go be great um, recording in to recap the final four and talk about the game coming up on Monday night, the chip. Um, and I guess I'll let the few very loyal followers of GBG know if that is not going to happen, but um, I'm going to get it done. Um, so that is my analysis of the final four. I hope that I gave you some good info. I know it wasn't that entertaining, but I wasn't really trying to be. I just want to kind of talk through the games. Um, you know, just where each program is at going into Saturday, and we move on. Um, I'm going to get into that women's basketball story very quickly because I was in – you know, obviously GBG headquarters are here in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Um, and the women's basketball tournament, one of the regional 
uh, the way that they were doing it this year, and maybe it's like this way every year, I, I will be honest with you guys, I don't really pay attention much to the women's side. Um, I was tuned in slightly midseason. Um, Caitlin Clark from Iowa was shooting balls from the next state, and they were going in the basket. Um, if anyone really knows me like that, they know I'm a sucker for the three-point shooting, and I think the best brand of basketball to watch is when everything's going in i liked watching the warriors pre kevin durant um i like when the guy is able to shoot i don't know i think it's very entertaining uh so she was entertaining there for a bit of the mid-year i was seeing a lot of clips of her on social media and um also on sports center so uh, i was tuned in a bit and I knew Paige Beckers from UConn was out. So I was trying to get back in tune when she came back uh, early early February, I believe. But I was unable to. Um, and then, so the way that the women's tournament works is the first two weekends or rounds, you go and play at the higher seeds home floor. So UConn hosted their first two games, and then it was the Bridgeport Regional. So as the two seed, they had to make the hour and 15-minute ride down to Bridgeport, Total, Total Mortgage Arena, the new sponsor of the arena in Bridgeport. Um, down to Total Mortgage Arena, where they had their Sweet 16 game, and then they were matched up in the Elite Eight with North Carolina State, who was the one seed. And people were upset. Uh, North, uh, excuse me, UConn beat North Carolina State by a score of 91-87 in double overtime. I believe Paige Beckers had 27 points. Um, I was trying to go. I was looking at tickets on all of the resale uh, websites and whatnot, and I was just kind of figuring that maybe it would be a little bit cheap. And I could not have been more wrong. Um, it was about 250 bucks to go to the Sweet 16. And it was about 150 bucks to go to the Elite Eight game. Um, and it's very simple. Like, people were upset because North Carolina State played an away game as a one seed in the Elite Eight. Um, it's really not hard to figure out why they would put a, a regional tournament in Bridgeport. Um, if you had to take a random guess and like, I'm very, sh I didn't even look into the metrics of this, but you can, you just know the number one consumer of women's basketball has to be the Yukon Huskies fans. Like it just has to be, they've been the best team as long as I've been alive. Um, why would they put a game in some arena where no one's going to go? Like they knew. They obviously figured UConn was going to be the one seed, which they were not, probably because Paige was out for most of the season. But why would they not put the regional there in hopes of selling out the arena, making it look good for women's college basketball, that there was a packed arena for them for all of those games? Um, it just seems like a very easy uh answer there like people were oh how do you do that to the one seed well if you told them at the if you told them three years ago which is probably 
around the time they had to decide this stuff. You told them three years ago, do we put a regional tournament in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where UConn will probably be a one and all of their fans will go? Or do I put it in North Carolina State territory? Well, let's just say Greenville, South Carolina, because they hosted some games this year and they usually host the Duke first round games anyway and occasionally even the ACC tournament. Um, why, let's put it there. Like instead of Greenville where, I mean, no offense, but if you think that they were going to fill a whole arena with North Carolina State fans, you're just sadly mistaken. Um, so I don't understand why people were in uproar. Unfortunately, college sports are part of a business too. And that was a business decision that was made and it was a smart one. Um, like I said, it was a lot of, um, everyone was there. There was a lot of demand for the tickets. So good job for the NCAA on that one. Um, unfortunate for the Wolfpack girls, I'm sure, you know, in a different scenario, maybe they have a better chance of winning in double OT. Um, well, it's neither here nor there. Uh, the women's final four is all three of the one seeds in UConn. So I just hope UConn wins. I, I, I'm sure those games are Friday and Sunday. So maybe, maybe we'll be tuned in on Friday night to see Paige play. I, I'm not sure how the um, not exactly sure how the WNBA draft works, but whenever she's allowed to go, she will be the number one pick. Um, so if you're interested in that stuff, I would definitely try to go uh, tune into those games on Friday night. I know that I will be trying to do so. Um, so let's get into the next topic. We've got opening day coming up in about... By this point, it is next Thursday, so one week's time. Um, and I've not paid attention really to, I'd say, the other 27 teams. I, I, I'm kind of in tune with what the Red Sox are doing because of my brother, and they are obviously the Yankees' number one rival. Um and I've kind of been paying attention to what the Mets have been doing. Maybe not because I'm actually trying to pay attention, but the Mets fans are obviously excited. They added Max Scherzer in the offseason, which is a huge move for them. Um, so I, I kind of know what's going on with those three teams and with the other 27. I've been learning, you know, day by day and just trying to, you know, have an idea for what's going to, what this season's going to be like. But I'm obviously very invested in the Yankees. I always have been. I always will be. I know that I occasionally joke, depending on the season, the team's moves, especially in the last two years, that I'll go and, um, you know, move my talents elsewhere with, like, the Diamondbacks or something. I ain't doing that. Um, even if the Yankees stink during my life, um, there's no way that I could find myself rooting for somebody else. I think just – the memories that I've made with um, the Yankees early on in life will always stick with me. And I don't know how I'd be able to uh, root for anyone else, honestly. Um, that being said, 
opening day is next week. And the Yankees roster is an interesting roster. Um, I thought that they would do more in terms of adding pitching. I thought pitching was, I don't want to say a problem last year because definitely the hitting aspect of things was worse. But I thought that they would do more to get a few more options around. You know, I think, you know, just like today, um, today is March 30th. They have a spring training game starting in two hours from now. Um, I apologize if you hear any banging on the second half of this episode, as it was very clear our landlord's doing work on our on our house here in in connecticut so i didn't know uh that was happening today but if you hear that i apologize just trying to bear with me for the last 15 or 20 minutes um maybe i'll try to even go a little quicker than that um the story with the yankees i feel like is that they aren't going to be good i think that's kind of what the fan base is is saying right now and I don't know if they if we should be that nervous for like a really bad season. Maybe not the season that we're hoping for. Like I think as Yankee fans, we just assume that we should be uh, competing for the last like four spots or for the World Series every time every season. Which like that's just unrealistic. I think to expect from a team, but. Um, if you're the Yankees and you're like that big of a brand, you know, it's, it's understandable that the fans want some product that they're used to, which is frequent playoffs, frequent deep playoff runs. And we haven't really had something like that, um, at least consistently in the last couple of years. Um, I, I'm a little nervous. I'm not, I haven't really tuned in as much to spring training, but uh, today Severino is not making his start one week before the season. Um, and he is going to pitch on the side. So I don't know what the extent of that is, but this has happened before with Luis Severino and he's ended up missing a lot of time previously. So I'm a little nervous there. I thought that they would make more moves to get more arms. Um, And I thought between the few big free agents out there that they would make a move at one. I know that they have to pay Aaron Judge, so that's a lot of money that they're going to have to put towards him. They already put a lot of money towards Garrett Cole. So I understand, you know, I didn't really want Carlos Correa. I thought that was going to be like a bad locker room situation and um, not because he's a bad guy, but just because of what happened with the Astros and the Yankees. Um, not, I think not enough fans that were beckoning for Carlos Correa remember or thought about that, that we went and lost. Uh, four games in Houston in an ALCS and won all three games in New York while they were cheating. And, um, you know, obviously a story that has come out is that there's evidence that the Yankees also cheated and that it is being um, sealed away in a folder somewhere or in a 
virtual full whatever it is um you know well i guess we'll find that news out if it comes out but um right now the overreaction is that they're gonna stink i don't think they're gonna stink the reaction is that they aren't gonna win the world series i think that's probably fair to say um you know we're relying on a lot of stuff right now we're relying on you know we traded away gary sanchez so we're relying on kyle higashioka to be our starter and he couldn't hit right-handed pitching last year i know he is having a good spring right now but you know we're relying on uh on dj lemayhu to to be you know fully recovered from injury and better than what he was last year we're relying on a position change back to second base for glaber torres fixing his problems at the plate you know it does look like he's in a little bit of a better uh, physical shape this year so maybe that also will help him out um we're relying on aaron hicks being healthy in center um and then in the in the rotation you have montgomery who has been has been solid for us that's good you have garrett cole you know he didn't have as you know he had a good season he had a pretty good season he just had a bad game against the uh, the Red Sox and Fenway, which kind of, uh, you know, you get paid to come pitch in the playoffs for New York. And he came out and really didn't have it. I think, um, you know, just kind of based on what he has been through the last few years with the, the uh, sticky stuff um, scandal where he was kind of one of the guys at the forefront of that if you really think about it he pitched in houston where he was in a weather controlled dome for a lot of his career or for a lot of his being a dominant pitcher of his career so when you know he was definitely you he doesn't not say he wasn't using i think it was called a spider tack he didn't say he wasn't not using it, but if you think about it, if he was using it in a dome and then he was obviously using it away as well in cold weather, like he got used to that shit. And then it was very clear he didn't have as great break on his slider. He didn't have any break on his changeup. Um, he, he didn't look good. So a lot of people had their opinions. Um. A lot of people had their opinions of his season. It was a good season, but he needs to have a better um, game if we make the playoffs this year. And hopefully we can avoid any wild card situation. But, um, you know, the Red Sox, the Rays, and the Blue Jays all seem to also have great teams. So they at least might be a tough division for us to take this year. Um we're also relying on Josh Donaldson to be healthy. We took on $25 million for him, which I was very skeptical of at the time. And I will be skeptical of until he shows me that he, I, I'm not saying he's not a good hitter because I think he is, but he's old. He's 36 years old. Um, and he's going to be asked a big role on this Yankee team. I think he's going to have to prove it to the Yankee fans very early that he is belong uh, that he deserves the spot because they know he's getting a lot of money also is one week till the season and we don't have a deal for Aaron judge that makes me pretty nervous um I thought 
I thought the minute that the um, I thought the minute that the MLB and the players union agreed that Aaron Judge should have been taken care of, um, and he's not. And I don't know if that's because he hasn't been offered. I don't know if that's because he doesn't want to stay. I don't know if that's because he doesn't believe the offer he's getting is is right or fair. But it makes me nervous. Um, he should be a Yankee for life. I think him and Stan should should you know be together for the rest of their their time in the league. I don't know. You know, Stan must have about five years left on his deal. There's six years left on his deal. Um, obviously, Judge is probably going to play longer than six seasons, and maybe uh, Stan will as well. But I would really like for both of them to finish their careers as Yankees. Uh, they've both been a, a pleasure to, to watch and go to the stadium to see. Um, you know, Stan got an unfair end of the stick. He was really our best hitter um, for every season that he's been on the team. Um you know, he, his, his, his career at the Yankees has not turned out the way the fans have wanted. You know, they were hoping when he got traded for that, that would be the piece that sent us to the top. And unfortunately, the rest of the team kind of, uh, you know, regressed. And, and you know, now we're, we're finding ourselves more in the middle of the pack of the AL East and fighting for wild card spots. And, instead of being the the top tier of the of the division and then competing for the world series so um right now like i said relying on a lot um overreaction is that they'll be bad good reaction i feel like that they won't be champions as constructed obviously the way the first half of the season goes will depend on who's available for trade and you know maybe we get a piece in the trade market that sends us over the top but i think right for right now there's a lot of question marks on this roster that brian cashman and the front office are hoping will be check marks um and i was hoping they would make some different moves than the ones they have but um Based on the on the lineup we have, it is good. So if we do a little bit better of pitch selection this year, uh, I think it was it's hard to watch the same type of hitter go up to the plate multiple times during an inning. And like we have that, we've had that before with Judge and uh, you know Stan and Gary and and Glaber. I think it was really stressful to see all those off-speed pitches hitting the dirt and getting swings and misses, but um, it's opening day, one week away. We'll see how that goes. I'll definitely be keeping you guys in touch with how I feel about my team. Um, I already talked about Will Smith and Chris Rock, so I guess that means it's time to – go into the NFL offseason a bit. Um, I know I have, you know, I've started this pod only for about a month now, and a lot of the NFL offseason has taken place in that one month. I think everything that I'm about to talk about has happened between March 5th and now. Um, 
except for maybe one story, but I think it was the number one story of the NFL offseason and maybe isn't getting talked about as much as it should at the current moment, and that is the Brian Flores situation. Um, Brian Flores alleges that he was offered money to lose games as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, and then, um, you know, he did not do that. Um, He actually turned around a couple of bad Miami teams and turned them into 500 teams and near playoff teams and uh, was let go from his position uh, over the last offseason. And he went public with his claims that he was, you know, racially profiled against, which, you know, I think that is definitely a story that is important and that we need to work on in the NFL. But I think the more important story is that he was offered money, uh, allegedly, by the owner of the team to lose. And then when he was not losing, he was fired. Um, I think that's despicable. I think that if that's true, Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, needs to sell. Um, And I think that a lot of people should be in tune with that story going forward because it seems like there's going to be um, additional coaches getting involved. I know that for a bit there, Hugh Jackson had his name in the mix talking about, um, you know, that the, the Browns owners and GMs were doing the same thing. Um, And you can make the case for that. I mean, those, those Browns teams did not have much talent at all on the roster and, uh, not given a, a good chance to go to go you know out there and be a, even just competitive team you know if you're you know like look at the Detroit Lions for example maybe not uh, in the top half or the t- or the top two thirds in terms of talent on their roster but boy did they play hard every game there was really only one or two games there that I could remember where they just absolutely got blown out of the water. Uh, there were a lot of bad games for those Browns teams. Um, and they went 131 while he was the coach. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, Brian Flores, I believe. So he was in the running for a couple of these head coaching jobs. He ended up not getting them for one reason or the other. Um, my guess is that the co- the organizations didn't want to be involved while uh, Brian Flores is going through legal actions um, because that'll be more of the story with the guy going forward than whatever his team is doing. And I guess I kind of understand that, Um, but he is a great football mind. He clearly turned around a team that was not trying to win uh, into at least a decent football team that competed, right? Like you, you can't, uh, as a Jets fan, I'd love to go nine and eight. Um, and, you know, he did that last year. So um, that's one story to kind of keep your eye on going forward. Another one, uh, we have the Deshaun Watson to the Browns trade. So Deshaun Watson, like as of last week, was cleared, or I don't want to even say cleared. I think whoever, um, whoever, is in charge whoever the lawyer is that made or that is representing the women that made the claims against Deshaun Watson is not 
seeking any criminal um, allegations, or maybe he was not exactly sure what's going on with this story, because to me, anytime that someone is name someone's name is mentioned with domestic violence like at this point i just believe it because um i mean first of all i think you should believe people who are you know alleging this type of stuff or saying that this type of stuff is happening to them especially if they're your friends or people you care about but um i just you know just given that i don't know anything about any of these scenarios in terms of domestic violence going on in, in the NFL or the NBA or even the MLB, just believe it, you know? I, and that's really been the only thing I've been thinking about in terms of this case is, okay, Deshaun Watson is being accused of X, Y, Z. I believe that. Therefore, he shouldn't be in the NFL. Um, now, he was cleared of anything to do with criminal charges in this in this investigation. Um, and that's really all that I know about the investigation side. Um, what I do know is that Cleveland is trying to get all of these um, quarterbacks that moved. And, you know, there were a couple that between Brady retiring and unretiring, I'm sure that they tried to talk to him and see if, you know, he would consider leaving Tampa Bay if he was coming back. And then he ended up, you know, he did come back. Um, you know, he also had Russ moving. So, and then there was the potential that Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers was going to leave Green Bay. So I'm sure they were, and they, they also Matt Ryan, and I don't even have that on my list of things to talk about today. Um, they inquired about every quarterback. And then, you know, Baker's now the odd man out. It should be interesting to see where he goes. But this is just crazy move from Cleveland, guys. I, if you like, you just traded for a guy that you have no idea if he's going to play. Like, There is no confirmation on March 30th, as we stand right now, 5 o'clock p.m., that Deshaun Watson's playing in the next season. Like, You can hope. You can hope that you know, the allegations are going his way and that he is you know, found not guilty or, you know, whatever whatever i don't know if the nfl is gonna launch their own investigation i have no idea what's gonna happen but what i do know is that is not confirmed sean watson's playing for this season so for you to move on from a guy who maybe hasn't been what you had hoped for but you know he's been decent like i don't like baker mayfield and i think he's been a decent qb i don't think he's been the best quarterback um he's definitely went through some injury and he's definitely had uh no offensive line in front of him. That is for sure. Um, at least in the earlier parts of his career. I mean, even last year, like there's no way that your offensive line is good. And the quarterback has multiple injuries to his upper body. Um, maybe he just took some bad hits. I don't really know. But to me, Baker Mayfield confirmed plays next season. And he still is on the roster, but he has asked for a trade. Deshaun Watson uh, can't confirm that he'll play next season. To me, it seems like an easy choice. You stay with the guy you have, but the Browns pulling a typical Cleveland move. Uh, added Deshaun, and I don't think there's any question of how good he is when he's on the field. Um, 
And it's just a question of whether he will be allowed to be on the field uh, with the serious allegations that he is facing. Um, Another big move that really just happened Monday is that they changed the NFL overtime rule um, where both teams will now possess the ball after Josh Allen had his go-ahead touchdown on on fourth or excuse me the uh, it was a go-ahead touchdown with 13 seconds left in the fourth quarter and then Patrick Mahomes got uh, down into field goal range Harrison Bucker made the kick forced overtime um, Chiefs won the toss Chiefs go down and score and the Bills season is over um, I I like the rule. I think the way that it was changed is unfortunate because um, obviously a lot of people are saying that the Bills deserved a chance in the game, and maybe they did. You know, according to the rules, they didn't, but maybe they did deserve a chance to get the ball back. Um, but I think it's going to change the whole strategy, obviously, of of the overtime. You know you're probably not going to want to get the ball first anymore. Um, probably going to want to play defense first. Maybe you'll depend it on, you know, who needs the is playing more tired at the current moment and needs the longer rest. You know, maybe your offense has been on the field trying to get you back in the game. So you put your defense out there first to give those guys a rest. Maybe, your offense has been on the field and they're hot right now and you put them right back out there. I I don't know how it's going to work. I think it'll be interesting to see how these teams um, come up with their strategy against it. Um, I also think it will be um, like anyone who's surprised that this happened is really not paying attention. Once again, business decision. Um, Why would they not want, most of these overtime games are like the games that, first of all, think about how many overtime games just happened in this past offseason, uh, in this past postseason alone. Then think about all of the other games in the regular season that went to overtime. To extend those games, to have more people watching it, to have more commercials during those times, it just makes perfect sense, right? Like it's just a good business decision. People want this to be added into the game because of clear reasons where a team, you know, you feel bad for them because their offense made a crazy comeback and then they don't get the ball. Uh, And, you know, obviously there's a good argument to be made that you have to play defense and, you know, you can't let up a field goal of 13 seconds and giving up 40 yards and you can't, give up the next drive to be a touchdown either, but I think both sides have a good point. And I think this way is going to be better. Um, I'm unfamiliar with what hap- what will happen if the first team scores and the second team also scores. I'm guessing it will then go to sudden death, which will make the games a lot longer, but I don't think anyone will complain in terms of fantasy. I don't think anyone will complain watching red zone. I don't think anyone's going to be like, oh, the games are too long, like in baseball. Uh, football has a good thing going. It will never not be going in America, in my opinion. Um, 
And I think that the rule just makes sense. And we'll move on to the next one. Uh, Brady retired, then unretired. Um, he never used the word retirement in his speech. Should have been paying attention more to that. But a lot of life events went on from Brady retiring until him unretiring. So I'm not going to lie. Not that it never passed through my mind, but I think I mentioned this on a previous pod. I, I don't, it never, I don't think I would have missed Brady until see, you know, week one came and he wasn't on a roster. And then I would have been like, Brady not playing like what the, but it never felt real because we were just in the off season, like not even, you know, and he didn't even last through the first day of free agency. He, he came back in the tampering period. Like he didn't even last through the first day of free agency and it should have been you know, it should have been easy to see. I just, like I said, I just think I wasn't thinking about it much, but you know, he retired on what was one of his best seasons of all time. He had quotes saying like, I'm not going to leave and then, you know, be watching on Sunday and think to myself, Oh, I could beat those guys. Um, so should be interesting how that shakes up the NFC. Um, you know, Rogers is back. To Green Bay on a large deal, which caused Devontae Adams to go elsewhere with his talents. He moves on to the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, that should be an interesting division now with Russ going to Denver. Uh, now those quarterbacks in the AFC West are Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson, and Derek Carr with Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller, like that is a great division. I would be, I would be on like a respirator if if I was an AFC West fan, knowing that six games per the out of the year, I have to play Justin Herbert. Like if I'm the Chiefs, for example, especially with now uh, Tyreek's gone, so that should be an interesting thing for their offense to have to fill. I know people are saying McCole Hardman is the same player. Uh, Tyree Hill can catch the football. I don't know. I don't really know if McCole Hardman can catch the football like that. Um, I'm not saying he can't catch it all, but he can't, he can't catch the ball if it's not on the one seven, um, in my opinion. Um, if, if you're an AFC West fan and you have to play those teams six times a year with the receivers in the, in you know, the league being Travis Kelsey, um, Darren Waller, uh, Keenan Allen on the on the Chargers. Um, I'm unfamiliar if Mike Williams signed back with the Chargers, but I don't think that's really that important. Um, how about the Denver crew getting a, a way better quarterback from Drew Locke? Like, Corlin Sutton's a great player. Jerry Judy's a great player that people kind of forgot about. Um, they also have KJ Hamler, which they didn't even like use. I think he'll be more similar to like a Tyreek going forward. Um, I would be, I'd be, ner- I mean, I'm already nervous just being in the AFC and knowing that those guys are on the other side and that if we make the playoffs, we're going to have to play one of them. Um, so uh, that kind of gets me through every NFL. I didn't talk about the Jets. Let me talk about the Jets before I before I send you guys on your merry way. Um, 
the Jets have made a couple of good moves, in my opinion. Um, we added some good players on the offensive line, such as Lakin Tomlinson. Um, so I, based on what I've been hearing from, from the Jets Twitter and stuff, which is definitely the best fan base uh, anywhere, I will say that. I will speak that to the heavens. I don't care who doesn't uh, agree with me. Those guys are are really dedicated to getting information about the team and talking about the team every day, regardless of whether it's in season or not. Um, shout out to those guys. So from what, what they've been saying and what I guess maybe it was a Joe Douglas press conference, so pretty easy to figure out there. Um, they're saying that Lake and Tomlinson is going to play left guard um, and that they're going to move uh, Vera Tucker to right guard. I have no problem with that. I think you always move the younger guy who has less experience in the league at a position than the guy who's been playing left guard his whole career. And even if it's only a few years longer, I like that. Um, seems like we're relying on Makai Becton to be back from injury which he's still kind of rehabbing his knee injury that ended the season, you know, and that it, we were told in the beginning that he would be back mid year and he's still rehabbing that. So I don't know exactly what happened with him, um, but you know, it's, uh, it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, you got DJ Reed, a corner from Seattle, who is ranked in the top 10 by PFF in terms of coverage. Jordan Whitehead, who um, he was on the Buccaneers, I believe. And I saw a couple of clips of him playing like in the box, kind of like uh, doing very well with um, uh, quarterback contain and like a quarterback spy, which, I mean, we're playing Josh Allen two times a year and Tua two times a year. So I think that would be something good, you know, a good addition to our roster. I mean, Marcus May left to the Saints, so we needed a strong safety anyway. And, uh, you know, maybe he'll play free. And, you know, we'll play uh, Marcus Joyner, who we re-signed at strong. I'm not really sure. Um, but I like the moves that they made in the – defensive secondary um we signed back braxton barrios on a six million per year deal i was hearing that he was trying to get like 10 and i thought we should not try to sign him back but six is a reasonable number he's probably going to slot in as like wide receiver four and the return guy again this year and next year it's a two-year 12 million dollar deal so shout out to braxton he was a good story out of a team that didn't have a lot of good stories um, we signed Solomon Thomas on a prove it deal. He was the former number three pick from, uh, I believe he was drafted by the 49ers, which means he spent most of his career being coached by Robert Sala. Um, and so maybe we'll get something out of him that he wasn't getting out of himself in San Fran. Um, we also signed CJ Uzama, who was one of the good stories of the postseason, uh, had a lot of great catches and was also a great blocker, I thought, for the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, we also got Chase Conklin. Um, so now our tight end room is those two guys. And, I mean, we have Kenny Yaboa and 
We have Ryan Griffin. I think maybe they'll still draft someone on day three, uh, but we'll see there. Um, I think that's it for big signings. Um, Really, the story has been for the Jets so far that we swung and missed on Tyreek Hill. Um, It was an interesting scenario where Tyreek Hill was given the option to choose where he was going to go, which, I mean, this is like the player power movement, and I can't really hate on that, but it was tough that we were one of the two teams left and we lost uh, to the Miami Dolphins. Based on what we offered compared to what they offered, I thought our package was better. I'm I'm sure that Kansas City thought the same thing. Um, But we also had to sign Tyreek Hill, and he got $30 million from the Dolphins. I think, although I would have been very excited for Tyreek Hill to be on the team, I would have definitely been a little nervous with $30 million dedicated to one guy. especially a guy that has had off the field issues before and um, has only played with the number one tight end and the number one QB in the league, which I don't mean to say that he's not going to be a great player. I think he will be, but it's, it's tough to, it's tough to assume that he will be the number one wide receiver in the league, which you could have made the argument while he was on the Chiefs that he was. Um, obviously, the speed will play for any team, anywhere, any sport, really. If you wanted to go try another sport, I'm sure you could play it running that fast. Um, but it does hurt when your team is is one of the teams being talked about to get a top star because it usually doesn't even happen for the Jets and you swing and miss. But Um, to me, it opens the door for a more complete player for us to, to add. And that is one of AJ Brown, Debo, Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf, who are all on the last years of their deal starting in the upcoming season would be another scenario where we'd have to, um, trade for them and then sign them, uh, which I would be very fine, uh, getting one of these three guys. Um, I would definitely rather, I don't know. I mean, Debo Samuel, I don't think, um, I don't think he's going to be used the way he was used in San Francisco by really anyone. I think that was just kind of our best running back is hurt. Um, in, in Raheem Mostert, and now we need someone who can run the ball and he's the best option that we have. Um, he could get the ball in the backfield. I'm not saying that he won't. I just don't think he'll be getting seven carries a game uh, during the season. Um, so I think given that he did get those carries, it's tough to say that he, like, you would just think off the bat, like, okay, I'd rather Debo over A.J. Brown and D.K. I think I'd rather A.J. Brown than Debo. Um, I think the talent is pretty similar. I think both of them are really good players and not taking anything away from DK or Debo, but I'd rather have AJ Brown over Debo straight up because they were, he was teammates with Elijah Moore. And I think getting to play with someone you consider a friend um, is going to be great for both of them. And I think the style of receiver that 
they are is very different. So I'd rather see AJ Brown. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see DK too, but I think if you're going between AJ and DK, I'd rather have AJ as well. Um, you know, when I was doing a lot more draft analysis in my younger days, I was saying DK is the number one Ole Miss receiver coming out of the draft and that um, he should be – I actually was saying that DK Metcalf should be the number three pick that year instead of Quentin Williams. Um, I mean, I would have definitely taken in a 1,000-yard receiver that can do the things that DK Metcalf does but um, I, I think it's tough to say at this point, A.J. Brown's definitely played with less quarterback talent in his career than D.K. has. Um, so I, I think out of the three, my ranking would be A.J. Brown, one, Debo, two, D.K., three, for guys that we could maybe add via trade. Um, also, another story, and maybe, you know, I think this will be happening for years now with these guys because – Teams don't want to pay the big contract, and some teams will be able to, so they will be looking for sign-in trades or, you know, trades, and then you sign the guy when he comes uh, the first day to the new team. Um, I think this is going to be happening a lot with receivers. Uh, next year, you would have to think one of them will be Calvin Ridley, which I didn't even talk about his scenario with, um, you know, he – he got suspended for the rest of – or for the whole entire season this year um, for gambling on his own team and parlays in the NFL. Um, uh, I don't really have like a – I don't have a, a take on that one, to be honest with you. I think he should have been suspended. I don't know if he should have been suspended for an entire season, given that Every third commercial is about FanDuel and DraftKings and Caesars Sportsbook promotions and, you know, during NFL games. But I also don't think that it should be, like, common for players to be gambling on or against themselves. I mean, I think I'd have a way bigger problem with against your own team, but he was away from the team. I, I, like I said, I didn't have as big of a problem with it as everybody else. I think he should have been suspended. I do not think he should have lost an entire year. Um, and he should be one of the guys that's up for trade next year. I don't know off the top of my head who would who else would fall into that category. But if the Jets don't end up with one of those three guys, you know, seemingly, I, I, I think that with the fourth and tenth, fourth and tenth pick. Uh, I think 10 will be used on a wide receiver. I think it'll be Traylon Burks from Arkansas. But um, if it's not, and we kind of run it back with with Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, um, and I guess that would leave Barrios three. But I don't. I think they'll add one receiver. If it's not Burks, they'll add someone else uh, in the later, you know, second round or third round, whatever. Um, I think just the way that the wide receiver room is constructed, it would tell you that they're going to draft someone or that they're going to trade for someone this year. And if it doesn't happen this year, and one of those guys that, you know, Joe Douglas has been quoted saying that if, you know, every pick is on the table, if the player is right, um, I think that if the player is right for them, they'll go get them. And that makes me pretty um, 
excited for the future because we have not had that with uh, past regimes. Um, and so for the first time, I think there's a real reason to be optimistic about the Jets. And for that, I'm grateful. And with that, I say I do. I say farewell. I say good luck to the North Carolina Tar Heels on Saturday for their own purposes and for my own health. Um, and we'll be back Sunday. I believe that is April 3rd um, to recap the final four and to preview the championship. All right, folks, have a good day.